Well, Brother Jim and Brother Jared are making their way to go watch the football game right now, so that's great. Uh, during the course of the sermon, I realize that most of you have cell phones, so I will randomly say the word cell phone check, and you must then flash your darkened cell phone to me. Also, that would include any type of iPads or any other devices that you may be reading your Bible on. Uh, so just when I, whenever I say cell phone check, just make sure I see all black screens and then the Word of God on the other ones that uh, use their iPads or cell phones for their Bibles. Uh, please take your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3. Uh, if you want to find out, you say one of my friends is not here this evening. If you want to find out their commitment level and they say, well, I just couldn't bring my family out in the weather. Obviously, most people who were concerned about the weather wanted to stay home and listen to the service, whether on radio or live stream. So the code word is cucumber. Okay, so now if your friend is really spiritual, you ask them, okay, what was the code word? If they don't know the code word, uh, then they did not watch the services. And then ask them the score of the football game if they are unable to relay the code word, in which case you might know where your friend's spirituality is and you might need to pray for them a little bit more. All right, so uh, Ezra chapter 3. If you were here Wednesday night, you remember we spoke out of Ezra chapter 6. And I'll be very honest with you, uh, in reading up to Ezra 6 to do a little study of uh, kind of the context of that passage and knowing what I wanted to preach on Wednesday night, the Lord gave this thought to me, okay? So Ezra 3, I was reading a little bit about it, and, uh, and, and while I was reading up to Ezra 6, uh, the Lord laid this on my heart. So this was given to me last Wednesday, and it's been gnawing on me and chewing on me ever since then, and so hopefully it will be a blessing to you. Ezra chapter 3, we'll start reading in verse 1, and we'll read the entire chapter, which is very short. It's only about 13 ver verses, so uh, please, as we read, pay great attention to what the Bible is saying. Ezra chapter 3, verse 1 says, And when the seventh month was come, and the children of Israel were in the cities, the people gathered themselves together as one man to Jerusalem. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded the altar of the God of Israel to offer burnt offerings thereon, as it is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And they set the altar upon his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of them, uh, because of the people of those countries, and they offered burnt offerings thereon uh, unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the feast of the tabernacles, as it is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom as the duty of every day required. And afterward offered the continual burnt offering, both of the new moons and of the set feasts of the Lord that were consecrated, and of everyone that willingly offered a free will offering unto the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month began they to offer burnt offerings unto the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. Verse 7, they gave money also unto the masons and to the carpenters and meat and drink and oil unto them of Zidon and to the, them of Tyre and to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa according to the grant that they had of Cyrus, king of Persia. 
now in the second year of their coming unto the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month began Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, and the remnant of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all they that were come out of the captivity unto Jerusalem, and appointed the Levites from twenty years old and upward to set forward the work of the house of the Lord. Then stood Jeshua with his sons and his brethren Cadmiel, and his sons, the sons of Judah, together to set forward the workmen in the house of God, the sons of Hinnadad, with their sons and their brethren, the Levites. Now, verse 10 through 13 is where we really will find a lot of the meat of our scripture. Up until this point, it's been a lot of foundational stuff, a lot of background stuff. And I'm not uh, discounting its worth tonight in the sermon. But if you have been bogged down a little bit so far in verses 1 through 10, uh, please, or verses 1 through 9, please pay attention in the next few verses. Verse 10. And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they set the priests in their apparel with trumpets and the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course and praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. What a great day. Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers who were ancient men that had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not discern the noise of the shout of joy from the noise of the weeping of the people. For the people shouted with a loud shout, and the noise was heard afar off. Every about and every eye closed. Go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Father, we pray that you would please bless this service. Lord, we pray that you'd be with those that are home. Help them to uh, have had the uh, intention of tuning in tonight. And Lord, I pray that everybody who was unable to make it because of weather, Lord, that you'd please bless them and help them to receive something. But Lord, I pray specifically for those who are in this room tonight that need an encouragement. Maybe somebody needs a little bit of edification, a little uplifting. Lord, I pray that's exactly what they would receive. Lord, you know the hearts of the people so much better than I do, and my prayer is only that you speak to them in the way that you want to. Father, I pray that you'd please help me and cleanse me of anything that would stand in your way, whether it be pride, whether it be sin. Lord, I need you to work through me tonight, and I pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. I don't care how many times I hear this story. I love it when my dad begins to reminisce about the beginning of this church. I think it's so unique. I mean, I mean, we have a heritage. We have a history here. You know, a lot of churches pass through hands and, and pastors and rough times, but we have a great heritage of a man that just said, man, I'm, I'm willing to start a church. And please, by no means am I discounting the faith that it took to step out one evening and just say, I'm going to start a church, but... I, I do find it unique how in the story, uh, whether it was on Wednesday night or whether it was on Sunday night, as though that's been a cause of division in my household since I came into this world, 
uh, I do find it unique how it was just one man and just a very small group of people who decided to start attending in a front yard church. How unique is that? That's great. Uh, you know, depending on the time of year, weather can be rather rough in Texas. You know, if it's August, you're dealing with mosquitoes the size of all those. And uh, if it's winter, you're dealing with 70 degrees or 7 degrees. So, you know, it's kind of hit or miss, but they decided to start a church. But in those early days, could you imagine with me how small the problems must have been back then? I mean, it was just a congregation of 15 people. There's no real building payment because the porch is the pulpit. Uh, His biggest concern was trying to get people to come. And he he was telling me a little bit about it before uh, uh, I got up to preach. And he was saying, yeah, there was a group of about, you know, three core families. uh, And uh, and we kind of, I guess it was four, and and four core families. And and it was unique because the very first offering we ever took... uh, a, a, a person was coming through, just a, I think a sailor, a, a Navy man, and he was passing through and he gave a hundred dollar bill. And, you know, he's told me the people that were there that night and only one guy gave a hundred dollars. We need to get talking to the people that were there because they're still involved somewhere. You know what I mean? Uh, Mom, why didn't you pitch in? You know, uh, just say <laughs> But I just find it so cool and so unique that our heritage is that. But, you know, problems from that point to this point seem pretty small, don't they? I mean, we're up here tonight and this morning trying to get the uh, get you to raise $150,000 for a $2.5 million building debt, and we're worried about that, and we're worried about the 20,000-square-foot construction project we have now, and we're worried about Wi-Fi connections and live streaming and, and all these other different things that go on with it. We've got ministry after ministry. We've got two different services going on right now, this one and an entirely different service, the Spanish ministry. And that just boggles my mind. Used to, you had no problems, but now, now we got problems because mom still ain't giving. <laughs> I'm just kidding, mom. I, I enjoyed lunch today and I like supper sometime this week, okay? Uh, but the problems come with growth, do they not? And so tonight, all I want to speak to you about is five concerns that I have for the future growth that is to happen. Now, I believe, now I have very little faith, but I have faith to believe that we are about to explode. Not so that we can say numbers, not so that we can say, oh, this is how many we have, not so we can start counting nickels and noses, but so by the glory of God, more people can hear the gospel. And I just have the faith to believe God is going to do something great or else He would not allow us to go through what we're going through. But tonight I want to share with you five concerns, five things that cannot get in the way if we are to see great glorification brought to the Lord. First of all, we'll notice in our text that worship must never be replaced with work. Look here in verse number 2. Now, we, if you were here uh, Wednesday night and you listened at all or paid attention, I don't blame you if you didn't, but if you did, you're at a great advantage because you know a little bit about what's going on. Basically, King Cyrus of Persia 
has given an order, or really given a, an option for those who were of Jerusalem, who were in captivity, and he says, God has spoken to me and God wants to use me. If you want to go back and rebuild the temple, you can do that. And so 50,000 people say, we're willing to go build it. Now, some of them were alive at that point. Some of them were not. Whether they be kids, whether they be adults, 50,000 people chose to go back. Now, they've been out of the land. They've been out of Jerusalem now 70 years. And that's the context we find ourselves in. Now, I want to draw your attention to verse number 2. Worship must never be replaced with work. Then stood up Jeshua, the son of Josedek, and his brethren, the priest, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brethren, and builded. Now, if you're going to go build a building, would you not agree with me? A good first step would be commencement of building. If you're going to build a building, don't you think a wise idea would be to begin building? But in my mind, it would make sense to build the building. But I want you to notice that's not what takes place. The very first thing that they do when they arrive to Jerusalem and builded the altar of God, of the God of Israel. Worship must never be replaced by work. You see, they're on their way to accomplishing a tremendous task for the Lord. God has spoken to a king that says... I will give you everything you need to go and build the, the temple of God again. And, and it's a miracle that a, a Persian king would say that. God's worked through his heart. And now God has given 50,000 people the opportunity to go and to build the temple of God again. The glory of Israel is about to take place. It's about to go up. The temple that was destroyed, they're about to have the opportunity to build it again. But as soon as they get to Jerusalem, they don't start on the foundation. They start on the altar. You see, we're in a building project, and I'm so excited for that. I'm excited to see it done. I'm not a great visionary, so I'm ready to see, you know, furniture in the room so I can get a visual of how big those rooms are and how many uh, kids we can put in those rooms. And I'm just so excited about it all. But... May we not get so focused on the building and forget our worship. Because you have no message to give if you've not first met with the messenger, the messenger, the one who the message is about. We have no gospel if you don't know anything about the one who gave us the gospel. Our worship is so fundamental to anything that we have to give to this community. You see, what type of preacher would I be if I didn't spend time with the Lord? And what type of preacher would I be if I did not already witness what He's given me in His Word so then I could then convey it to you? What type of preacher would I be? You'd say, I don't want to listen to that type of preacher. Well, I promise you the world does not want to listen to a person who doesn't know the God of whom they're speaking about. Our worship must never come before our work. Don't go visit a bus route before you pray. Don't go knock on somebody's door and, and try giving them the gospel. If not, first you have asked the Lord to speak to their heart. I want to draw your attention to a passage in the New Testament. I want to draw your attention to Luke chapter 24. 
Now, we, if you were in the Wednesday night, I believe it was the Wednesday night services of my dad preaching a little bit. It might have been Sunday night, actually. It, it talked a little bit about being endued with power from on a high. And I learned something great in that sermon series, Luke chapter 24. This amazing thing has just taken place. Now, for a moment, the disciples had no real leader because he had been crucified. And most of them had seen it with their very eyes. The Savior draw his last breath. The guy who they had followed, the guy who they had given everything to, was now dead. But now they've gotten news that Jesus has risen. Now they've gotten news that, that, that everything this man said was true. And now Jesus stands before them, and I can only imagine the, the elation, the excitement when Jesus now appears to them. And, and they say, He's alive. Everything, it's real. You are the Messiah. You are the one. And I can only imagine them being so ready to go out and tell everybody. But that's not what God says to do. Jesus says in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 49, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. Saying everything had to come to pass. I, I know it's been a difficult time for you gentlemen. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the scriptures and said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day. Now, I don't know about you, but it sounds like Jesus is starting to preach a little bit. That's just exciting. He says, oh, I had to do it, guys. I, I had to die and I had to be raised so that all the scripture that was said about me would come to pass. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And ye are the witnesses of these things. And if you stop there, you'd say, go get him, Peter. Go get him, John. You've seen him. You've felt him like nobody's felt him. You were involved with him beyond anything that anybody else has done. And now he's preached the charge. Go get him. But look what Jesus says. And behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. Oh, I'm, I'm ready to go tell him, Jesus. I'm ready. I'm ready. But tarry ye here in the city of Jerusalem. Hold on. So you just want us to evangelize Jerusalem. That makes sense, Lord. We're just going to start here. We're just going to explode the gospel. No, he says, tarry in Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. He says, boys, you have nothing to offer unless I'm the one giving the offers. Until you're backed by the Holy Spirit of God... We have no power within ourselves to convince anybody that there's a Savior that loves them. Oh, without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, there is no conversion of the sinner. And we must so greatly depend on His ability to convict them as we give the message out. We're just a conduit. We're just a vessel. God is the one that does the saving. No matter how good you are presenting the gospel, Jesus and the Holy Spirit of God have to be involved somewhere. 
so often our work, especially when you're involved in the ministry and you get busy, you're Sunday school teacher, you go knock on your doors and you do your thing and you, and you, you just get so busy with it all that we often forget worship. Our worship is so much more important because if we have not properly come to know the one, if we have not understood what he wants of us and what he expects of us, we have nothing to share. How effective is your worship? Are you busy throughout your day-to-day doing a lot of good things, but just as Dad said this morning, you can do no good thing in your flesh. And so worship must never be replaced by work. Secondly, fear must never be replaced or must never replace faith. Now, I won't stay on this point very long this evening because of the tremendous sermon that was preached on faith this morning. I cannot say anything better than what was said this morning, but I do believe in our passage we see one of the reasons that they built this altar. It's found in verse 3. The very first thing they did was build the altar, and verse 3 says, and they set the altar upon his bases for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. For fear was upon them. Now, if you read Ezra at all, you know how God has worked in in King Cyrus' heart. It's kind of a divine plan all coming together. And often it's much easier to see it from my side than when you're involved in it. How many of you in your life have you know, been involved in something, and you look back and say, wow, that was God that orchestrated that. I know that's happened to me several times. And really, that's probably what's going on here is they don't even realize how much God is doing for them at this point. But 50,000 people have chosen to go back and to rebuild the temple. And that's an exciting venture in and of itself. But when they get there, they become very intimidated by the surrounding enemies. Maybe they have adversaries that will pop up along the way. Now, I find it unique how Israel truly loves glorying in their past. I mean, don't they? Don't several times they always talk about their father Abraham and and the the faith that he showed. And and they often, even in prayer, reference back to how they're sons of Abraham and sons of Jacob. And and it's almost like they like being associated with their forefathers. And I remember the story of David, how it took such tremendous faith. I don't know if it was faith or ignorance that made him step down in that valley that day with Goliath, but whatever it was, he had enough of it to go down when nobody else did. And they loved reveling and glorying in these stories, but that, that story when David went down and that just a little shepherd boy, the Bible says he was ruddy, of a ruddy countenance, he went down with with a, a sling, and he slew that giant, and what a great story that is. And, and these Jewish people would always, oh, David, King David, I remember him. And I'm reminded of how they're always talking about Abraham, and I'm reminded how uh, they're always talking about Moses and how God delivered them from Egypt and how God allowed them to cross the Red Sea. And, and without the raising of a spear or the, or, or the beating of a sword, they were able to defeat all of Pharaoh's army. And and these people could have just as easily looked back and said, Man, God is so good to us back then, He will help us again. But you know one thing I've noticed? 
Past victories do, do not make present trouble seem any less problematic. Oh, we all have victories. We all have days that were on the mountain, but in the midst of your trouble, doesn't it seem a little overwhelming? Oh, the people of this land were nothing. I mean, Israel's got some of the greatest stories of all time. I mean, Gideon was a guy who, who, who just uh, walked over nations. But no. Past trouble, oh, past victories make, even in the light of those, make present trouble, they don't make them seem any less problematic. But I do believe that God is able. And I do believe no matter what valley, no matter what trial, no matter what situation we're in, He is the one that we are to go to for deliverance. And when we don't, that's when we really get in trouble, isn't it? For you educated folk, isn't it? I just like omitting letters from words. Isn't it? That's not a word, is it? It's not. Isn't it? Isn't it? It's not a word. Well, I do believe fully that we're to go to the Lord, and He's the one that has the answers, and He's the one that has the powers. And I, I believe just as easily uh, these people could look back and said, God helped David, God helped Moses, God helped Abraham, God helped Gideon. Man, God helps all of our forefathers. When they're doing a work for Him, He helps them. And I believe it's a wise decision for us today to understand that we are doing a work for the Lord. Now, if we were out here building movie theaters so that the church could have some extra money, or if we were trying to build baseball fields to have a softball league on, maybe the Lord wouldn't back that. But we're building buildings so that boys and girls and men and women can come to know Jesus. And I just believe that the Lord will help us and the Lord will back us. A popular, famous Christian author, his name is Max Licato, he said, Feed your fears and your faith will starve. Feed your faith and your fears will starve. I believe that to be true. Fear must never replace our faith. And as Dad said this morning, uh, whatsoever is not of faith, it is of sin. And so we must never replace worship with work, and we must never replace uh, faith with fear. Thirdly, I want you to understand, I want you to really pay attention now. Updated can never be mistaken for upgraded. Updated can never be mistaken for upgraded. Now, draw your attention to verse 4 of chapter 3. They begin to set the altar. They begin to... They, so they've got the altar built. And now they're beginning to do the things that the altar allows them to do. In verse 4, we begin to see them build everything up, organize some things. In verse 4, they kept... Uh, I'm sorry, verse 3, And they set on the altar his bases, for fear was upon them because of the people of those countries. And they offered burnt offerings thereon unto the Lord, even burnt offerings morning and evening. They kept also the Feast of Tabernacles, that is written, and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the custom, as the duty of every day required. Now, you can continue to read there, and you see a little bit more that they do. But let me explain to you what I mean by updated can never be mistaken for upgrading. 
At the time that this book is written, most people would estimate it somewhere between 538 B.C. to about 520 B.C. Somewhere in there, so right around 520 B.C. Now the command for the continual burnt offerings is found in Numbers 28. And the Bible says in verse 3, And thou shalt say unto them, This is the offering made by fire, which ye shall offer unto the Lord, two lambs of the first year without spot, day by day, for a continual burnt offering. Now that was authored, uh, that was written in Numbers, which was authored around 1444. So this event took place nearly 900 years later. And as they get together, they say, how are we going to organize church? How are we going to do this? I mean, some of these people have never been involved with the temple. Some of them were born in captivity. Now, there are some priests, there are some elders, as we find out later in the chapter, but they say, how are we going to organize everything? And you know how they set it up? Like it used to be. Updated can never be mistaken for upgraded. In a world that every single morning I wake up, my iPhone tells me I got another update. Every time I go to uh, McDonald's, it's like McDonald's 2.0 with their speaker system and then their second lane. And now they're, soon they're going to have a drink machine that just hits you in the mouth as you go through the first window. You know, it's like, what flavor would you like? Okay, that one. Get your feel now. I, and our world is so much about upgrades and updates, man. We all wait every two years to get our new cell phone, don't we? And now we're all trying to figure out loopholes to get the new one before we can legally get the new one. Sean O'Dell's all in the loop, and he gets the upgrades before any of us normal people do. And then when a new one comes out, it's like, hey, Sean, did you know you can do this? He's like, yeah, I'm on the new one. Yeah. Our world is so driven with upgrades and updates and, and, and doing things better. I do believe that idea has seeped into the church. And if you take a look at many churches around here, you'll see that they're not very similar to how they used to be. And I am not a proponent of living in the past. Please don't mistake that. I've got the new cell phone. I I know a little bit about the new technologies. I drive a fairly new vehicle. Hey, I'm not riding a mule to church tonight. I understand technology advances. But what I don't understand is when revivals were happening more in the old days, why we keep changing new and new and newer things. Revivals vanishing and we keep trying to get different when we need to go back to the old paths and back to the old ways. I just believe that. I believe we've tried telling the old, old story in too many new, new ways. I just don't think that's a wise decision. We've lost the glorious message somewhere in our gaudy methods. And every day we have a new thing on the screen. And every day we have a new welcome video. And every day we have a, a new song director. And every day we have a new instrument added so that somebody can know the gospel a little bit better. I just think that it might be a wise-eyed decision to look back. These people look back nearly 900 years. How should we have church? Maybe like God told us to have church. And time really is not that relevant with a God who says, One day is like a thousand years with me. 
I understand we have technology. I just don't know if sacrificing what God has given the church, which is fundamental preaching of the Word of God and and singing songs that are more about glorifying Him than they are about glorifying the singer. I just believe it's a wise decision to have church the way God says to have church. My friend, don't mistake updated for upgraded because if you ask me, churches are making Christianity weaker. More about emotion. You know the bad thing about emotion is when that changes, so does your ideas. So does your philosophies. Christianity is getting weaker, not stronger. And I just believe these people look back and they say, how are we going to have church? We're going to look back, not forward. Not only did they do it with the burnt offerings, but they did it with the building itself. I'll draw your attention to verse number 7 of this same passage. Uh, 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 Ezra chapter 3. So how are we going to build the building? They gave money also unto the masons and to the carpenters and meat and to the drink and, and the oil unto them of Zidon and them of Tyre to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the Sea of Joppa. Now is that significant at all? I don't know. That's just exactly how Solomon did it. Nearly 900 years ago, uh, in fact, the Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 5, through, uh, chapter 5, 8, and 9, that that's exactly how Solomon re- retrieved his wood for the temple of God. See, we ought not to be looking for new methods because the message has stayed the same through centuries. I don't know about you, but the gospel worked on me. And I didn't need some singer I didn't need some good solo of an instrument. All I needed to know was that I was a sinner. Everything else is entertainment. The message is what does not change. I just believe updated can never be mistaken for upgraded. Uh, Fourthly, and we're moving right along, we won't be much longer. Praise must never be passed over. Now verse 11 Actually, verse 10, we've, if you look, it's kind of a very exciting time. It's a glorious occasion. They've come to build the temple, and now they kind of see their first bit of progress. And how many of y'all remember when we had taken up offerings and, and given a bond issue and done all that, and it was like six months later and we had no progress? That's a discouraging time, is it not? I remember we were talking to the general contractor. Hey, man, we need to see something moving, even if it's just dirt. Seeing progress was exciting. In verse number 10, the Bible says, And when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they see progress. That had to be an exciting time. They came to build the temple, and they started. They set the priests in their apparel with trumpets, And the Levites, the son of Asaph, with cymbals, to praise the Lord after the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks unto the Lord because he is good. And you can count on that. Hey, there's going to be a lot of times when close friends won't seem good, but there will never be a time when God is not good. 
For his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And it endures forever towards us as well. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. What an exciting and jubilant time that must have been. You know, they came to build the temple and wow, they started to see progress. They, they began to see movement and they're moving in the right direction and it, it had to be a great time. But when they see progress, you know what I think they wisely did? They took time and they said, let's thank God. Because we were in captivity just a little while ago. And we really didn't have the means to escape. And God, through his divine plan, has uh, ordained a man to be risen in a, a powerful position. And now he has delivered us from the oppression of our, uh, of our captivity. And now we're over here and we're making progress on the temple of God. And it won't be much longer till it will be completed. And, and man, I, it's just a wise decision to take time and thank him for all that he's done. You know, it really doesn't matter if we meet 150,000. Let's thank him for what we have. You know, it really doesn't matter how much longer these buildings take, we're seeing progress. Why don't we stop right now and thank Him for what He's done for us? Too many churches are going along for years and years in the same storefront, and then you look at this church and you say, was it talent? No, it ain't talent. Look at our staff. Brother Jim, Brother Brian, and Brother Jared are the only talented ones on the staff. And the ladies, who's that leave out? Me. It wasn't talent, it wasn't ability, it wasn't skill, it wasn't uh, uh, cunning. It's God. Well, you may come up and say, Brother Andrew, that's a good message. Well, I didn't, I didn't think of it. You say, Brother Andrew, that was a good song. Well, you know, without the Lord, I, I, I could be a mute. God is doing a great work here, and I don't want it to stop. I want him to continue to bless. I want him to continue to move. Psalm chapter 95 verse 2 says, Oh, come and let us sing unto the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation. Let us come boldly before his presence. And I'm thankful we can do that. But how should we come? With thanksgiving and make a joyful noise unto him with psalms. New Testament reference, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 17. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks unto God and the Father by Him. You see progress in your life. You see a victory in your life. Take time and thank Him for it. Praise must never be passed over. We must never forget who the one who has given us all this, uh, who the one is, and that's Jesus. And he's allowed us to see great victories. And I believe if we continue to thank him and continue to give him the credit for it, he'll continue to send them our way. In Washington, D.C., every morning the sun rises in the east as it does here. I know it's a little backwards, but that's a consistent between here and there. The sun rises in the east, and the first thing that sees the sunrise is a monument. And it stands 555 feet tall. It's the tallest building in all of Washington, D.C. At the very top of that tower, there is a phrase inscribed upon it, written in Latin. And the phrase is this, Laus Deo, 
meaning praise be to God. Even our forefathers understood the foundation of our nation ought to be given credit to the one who gave them the ability to do it. How silly we would be to think that anything we could accomplish here or in an offering or any other thing like that is of us. Make sure we take time to praise God so that He continues to use us and continues to work through us. We move on, and fifthly, and this is really the part of the message that spoke to me the most. Rebellion must never be our restriction. Now look here in verse 12. Now I've described to you what it what would have been like, all these young whippersnappers jumping around saying, hey, we, we got some progress. That <laughs> We came to build the temple and the temple is starting to be built. The foundation's laid. This is a great time. Verse 12. But many of the priests and Levites and chief of the fathers, who were ancient men, that had seen the first house. What's that a reference to? That was these men had seen Solomon's temple. They had seen the first one. When they had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, what was their reaction? Was it was excitement? I mean, everybody's excited. They're praising God. What was their reaction? Wept with a loud voice. And many shouted aloud for joy. So you got a, a large portion of, the, of the, the people are singing praises and saying, Progress! Progress! That's great. I think that's a wise decision. But you've got a small remnant of people that saw the first one. And they saw as the foundation of this one was laid how much smaller this one was going to be. That the second one wasn't going to be like the first one. And the beauty of the second one was going to pale in comparison. Now, the young ones didn't understand. They were excited. Progress, progress. But there were those who remembered the glory days. You want to know why they found themselves in captivity? Rebellion. Want to know why the Lord had to use a wicked king to go and overthrow the walls of Jerusalem and overthrow the temple that was at Jerusalem, which was given to God for a a place for him to uh, be worshipped in and to be glorified in, and that everyone that would see it would say, Wow, what's that building? They'd say, Oh, that's for the God of Israel. That was no more. And these men looked at that little foundation there they said look how we limited God because of the sin in our lives people won't be as impressed with him has he changed no but how he can use us has does that not shock you I mean it's progress They're seeing things done. But the first one 
was so much better. And I just believe with my whole heart that if we hoard sin in this church, he'll never be glorified. I believe if you're hoarding sin in your own life, he'll never be glorified like he ought to be. I'm reminded of the battle of Ai when Joshua had been going through every land, even even Jericho with its giant walls where even houses were built upon. And it was said that chariots could race around the wall. And just a small nation without one sword, just trumpets and some shouting, was able to beat this great city of Jericho. But a man by the name of Achan made a mistake. And he allowed himself to be overtaken with uh, uh, a little bit of covetousness. And in Joshua 7, we find this story. Uh, they come to Achan and they say, what have you done, Achan? And he said, well, when I saw among the spoils a goodly Babylonian garment and 200 shekels of silver and a wedge of gold of 50 shekels weight, then I coveted them. And basically, he goes on to say, I took it. Even though God had commanded him not to take anything. That was God's victory. What does God ask Joshua to do? Remove Achan from the camp. Because there's sin in the camp. And God's blessing can never bless sin. And they go to Ai. Maybe, you know, Joshua being such a great military leader, maybe he was a little bit prideful. I don't know. I don't want to come to that conclusion. But he said, oh, we just beat uh, uh, Jericho. And that was a big deal. We've been walking over everybody else. Ai is just a little bitty town. It's it's nothing. We'll just send 3,000 men. We'll just send 3,000. They should have no problem taking over the city. They should have no problem. It's just just a small little town. So they send their 3,000. You know what happens? They come back with their tails between their legs and say, Joshua, I don't know. It It just didn't seem like God was with us on this one. And Joshua falls on his face before God, and God says, I wasn't with you on that one. I don't care how pretty our buildings are. I don't care what the square footage is. If our leaders and if our members hoard sin in their life, could God bless us? No. Our rebellion must never restrict how God is able to use us. Man, I just don't want to look back several years from now and say, well, if that person hadn't have been in leadership, maybe we'd have seen somebody come to know Christ. Man, if we had just gotten rid of that one sin that we knew about, if that was no longer there, maybe somebody would have just come to know Jesus. Maybe God could have used us a little bit more. Maybe maybe something greater would have happened. He promises great and mighty things, but not through somebody who's not willing to be submitted to him in obedience. I read a story today about uh, a a barber, an atheist barber who was cutting a preacher's hair. And as the preacher sat down, this barber took it upon himself to begin questioning his theological knowledge. And and the atheist barber sitting there with the scissors and the comb was cutting his hair. And he said, I tell you, pastor, one thing has always perplexed me. I've never understood this. If there is a loving God in in existence, how could he allow poverty, war, and suffering? 
the pastor thought for a little while, and he looked out on the street, and a disheveled man, a man with very messed up uh, uh, appearance, walked across the street, most likely a homeless man. He, he walked across the street, and he said, well, sir, let me ask you this. Do you claim to be a good barber? He says, absolutely. Well, he said, how come that man is disorganized? How come his hair is messed up? And that barber kind of got a little offended, and he says, well, he never gave me a chance. The pastor looked at him and says, exactly. Men are what they are because they reject God. The only person who ever limits the person of God is you. I wrote the teenager and I said, sometimes you may think the Christian life's hard, but you're the one who decides whether you're going to walk it or not. I don't care if both your parents are uh, Sunday school teachers. I don't care if neither one of them have ever come to church. I don't care if they're both in prison. You're the one that decides whether or not you'll live for God. And member of Joshua Baptist Church, you're the one who decides whether God will use this church. Buildings, it just costs a lot to air condition. It just costs a lot to heat and just costs a lot to build. But I promise you, God can't use a church who's not willing to be used by Him. He can't use a church who has placed restrictions on His greatness with their sorriness. Oh, don't allow our rebellion. Our uh, mistakes, our failures, our sins, our hoarded enjoyments that we're never willing to give up for God, don't allow that to be the thing that sends thousands of little boys and girls to hell. Because maybe you know about the good old story, but there's a lot of people that don't. And there's a God in heaven who has commissioned us, each and every one of us, to tell them about Him. promises he'll be with us as long as we'll go for him and with him.